Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger. I'm so thrilled this morning to be joined by my co-host, Wilkie V. Law III. Will, what's going on today? Nothing much, nothing much. Exciting, exciting. Ready to go back to school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are we're recording this podcast on the last day of July. So, uh, yeah. yeah, we're getting, everybody's getting back into the swing oh, of it. Can I do one thing before we move on? Yeah. I have to do this kind um, of... Today is a very, very special day, and I'll make sure my daughter listens to this podcast, because today is my daughter's 12th birthday, um, and it marks me going into the classroom, because I didn't become a teacher until she was born, so I just want to say a special happy birthday to my daughter, Nadea Joyce Law. Happy birthday today, and I love you. Awesome. 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 Yes, and happy birthday to Nadea for me, too, and uh, we are super thrilled to have Tori Patterson on the podcast today. Tori, how are you? I'm doing great, and happy birthday. That's so exciting. Yeah. You'll have to tell her happy birthday for me. And I just realized also that today is the last day of July, so that's a little crazy that we're almost in August, and I'm going back in about two weeks. Yeah. So <laughs> that yeah. was real. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, it's been a crazy summer for me, I just went to my fourth wedding this summer, this past Saturday, and I'm just like, I don't know how the time went so quickly, um, but uh, yeah, we're super excited, super, super glad we could connect. Yes, uh, me too. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to just share some of my insights I have on going back to school and getting mm-hmm. back into the classroom. Mm-hmm. So we were talking... You know, that's the kind of the premise of our podcast again, with is that we wanted to be able to offer the authentic voice of different teachers so that every teacher could kind of find someone or something they can bring from another teacher that'll help them along their journey. I mean, that's the real purpose of the conversation is just to try to help other teachers so that they don't feel like they're alone. I mean, we know that if you're experiencing someone else in America is experiencing that exact same problem, that exact same type of student or administrator or colleague or parent, you know, so it's good to kind of have this medium and this platform that we can kind of amplify our voices so that we can kind of create a collective of education. Mm. And I love that. And I actually just uh, listened to your previous podcast with the teaching on tables, and I was really inspired just listening to that. So mm-hmm. I love what you guys are doing with the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so... learning. Uh, so I think that's kind of when I really zoned in on 
when I wanted to become a teacher. Mm, nice. Awesome. And so were you an education major in high school and in college? Yes. Yeah, so once I graduated high school, I went to the University of Oklahoma and I had some amazing professors up there and they actually really, um, I guess, sparked a fire inside of me. Um, I remember one professor in particular, her name was Destiny Warrior. And as soon as we graduated, she created this Facebook group and it was something funny called like dream class of 2013. And I remember that she would always post and help us try to find jobs. And when I had my first interview, she took me to get coffee and kind of helped me prep for my interview so that I felt way more comfortable. Um, and even to today, I was looking back at the Facebook group and she was commenting on what fun activities are you doing for the Winter Olympics? And, hey, check out this amazing program in Oklahoma that they're doing for teachers. So, I mean, she still is reaching out to us. And that kind of just really inspired me to become a teacher like that and just follow up with my students and just show them that I cared that much. I, I've got a kind of off, off-topic question. How is yeah. a how is a Oklahoma Sooner gonna live in Austin? I, I think that's kind of a conflict of interest. See, that is funny because I get that a lot, and um, it's funny if I have any OU stuff in my classroom because I get some negative feedback on that. But um, there's actually like a little group of us from OU that we are all friends, and somehow we all made it to Austin. So we kind of have a little group that we stick with. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm just surviving day to day. <laughs> oh, boy. Good stuff. Sorry, I just had to ask. Mm-hmm. I get that question a lot. I was thinking so. Okay, so in your eyes, what is the value of a great teacher? So I've been teaching for four years now, and... I think I've found that a great teacher is really someone who's building relationship with their students. Um, and when they're building those relationships, communication is key because once you've earned your students' trust and that bond has just really grown between you guys, um, the learning is just going to kind of fall into place. Um, and I remember... In high school, I actually had a teacher named um, Mr. Williamson, and it was my senior year, and I'm not going to lie, I was a little checked out, and I was kind of ready just to go to college, Um, and so when I was going into his class, I was kind of, I don't know, a little apprehensive. Um, I didn't care as much, but as soon as I sat down, he just kind of started talking to us, and he asked us about um, how we liked the school year so far, and I was really involved with volleyball in high school and so he would talk to me about upcoming games and how I thought like the team was doing so I mean I really loved that because he was reaching out to us and he was getting to know us as a person and he valued us as um, students who had talents and who struggled in certain areas and I we weren't just like an average in his class um so going back to like the question of what is the value of a great teacher? I think you just, by spending extra time with your students, you're building those relationships of respect, uh, which is much more valuable than really anything in the curriculum that you could teach your students. Mm. Yeah, couldn't agree more with that. 
Yeah. Right. I was say, that's right in the wheelhouse of what we, we, what we subscribe to, um, even going as far back, you know, um, the TED Talk that Dr. Uh, Rita Pearson gave about, you know, every child deserves a champion and understanding that it is that relational piece that sets the foundation for all learning. Yes. You know, I, I love that. Right. Our children, you know, my daughter, she does what I say, not because I rule with an iron fist, but because of the relationship that we're in. You know, yeah. and I think it goes for parents and teachers alike that, you know, we talk a lot about bullying teachers, you know, those are bully teachers that you better not do this in my classroom. Um, and we also compare them to the teachers who, who create those expectations in the classroom that the students themselves will say, I better not do this in that class. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just, yeah. I mean, who's, who's writing that narrative as far as the expectation is what's going on? So I think that when you say that the value is that building relationships, I always say relationship building is the one discipline, one tool that we can teach kids that transcends all disciplines, all content areas, all areas of their life. Mm-hmm. Yes. I agree with you 100%. So that being said, what is the one thing you think all students should be taught? Okay, so I had to really think about this question because it was really hard to just narrow it down to one thing. Um, But the one thing I would want all of my first graders to learn is how to respect others' ideas and feelings. Um, And, you know, I just really teach this through everyday discussions, like in our morning meeting circles, um, and even just modeling it in the classroom because kids are in your class are just constantly watching you and they're picking up on your mannerisms. They're picking up on your attitude in the morning. And as teachers, we should really be teaching our kids how to encourage others, um, embrace differences and learn how to respectfully disagree with peers. Um, so just developing that respect for others, um, is going to really just follow them forever. So I think that would be like the one thing I would focus on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Awesome. So, what is your philosophy of education? So, in our classrooms, um, I just think we really need to set the bar high for our students. Um, I recently read the book The Wild Card by Hope and Wade King, and I know that's a super popular book, and it's fantastic if you haven't read it, so I recommend it to anyone. Um, But I remember a quote in that book that says, if you want to create magic, you must never settle for good enough because that's what your students are going to become. So we shouldn't be the teachers that just show up to teach. Um, We need to be those teachers that are striving to make a lasting impact in our kiddos. Um, And that just means pushing them to their fullest potential. And I remember, I think it was a couple weeks ago, Uh, Naomi O'Brien. I love following her on Instagram. She has fabulous insights. Um, She's also known as Read Like a Rockstar if anyone wants to follow her. But um, she was talking about um, the Rosenthal effect and just how um, we need to raise the bar for them and how students perform way better when they're instructed by teachers that have high expectations for them. So Going into the classroom, I want to, I don't ever want to limit my kids. 
I want them to grow to their full potential. Hmm. So when you say high expectations, does that look the same, you know, when you have high expectations academically as you do behaviorally, or do you have to kind of differentiate, I mean, especially with first, first graders, what, what the academic, you know, the academic expectations, cause I'm, I'm trained secondary. So, um, when we talk with elementary teachers, I'm always interested. So how do you maintain high expectations, both behaviorally and academically for the younger kids? So for academic, academically, I, I get really frustrated when other teachers say, I don't think my first graders would be able to handle that. Um, or I don't think my students would be able to understand that because it's how you present it to them. I think that's when you capture their attention and their curiosity and that's when they're really going to want to learn. Um, I also think academically kids need to be exploring. Um, they need to be um, just engaging with one another and having those conversations when learning. So I don't like to set limits um, academically. I want to be there to facilitate their learning, but I love that they're leading um, kind of their own discoveries. So academically, I like to set the bar high and I like to present it to them, but I'm there to help lead their learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But behavior-wise, I think that kind of goes into the beginning of the year when you're setting expectations for your students. Um, you kind of just need to tell them right away what's accepted in our class and what is not, um, and just follow that throughout the whole school year and have those, um, I guess, consequences, uh, but they need to be, I guess you could say, um, not, I'm looking for the word, but they need to just be constantly, uh, I guess, accurately given. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of tripping over my words, but basically I want to just set those expectations right away so that they know um, how they should be acting in the classroom. Right. And I, and I think one of the things I struggle with in my career is really, you know, teaching middle school and high school is helping the kids understand, you know, where the consequence came from. So if they're not, you know, maintaining that expectation, not just giving them the consequence, but explaining like, okay, here's where you made the mistake. This is where the consequence is coming from. So they understand, you know, that connection between what the mistake was or, or where they didn't fulfill the expectation. I think that's a, that's a part that I've struggled with in my career is really helping kids identify, okay, here's the expectation. Here's where I fell short. Here's what I got to do better. Yes. Uh-huh. And it's just having that consistency of, um, like across the board of I'm not giving this kid the ability to get away with this, but I'm going to always, uh, be watching this other kid and getting onto him. It needs to be across the board and very consistent with your actions. Right. Mm-hmm. And consistency is key. I mean, with any expectation, uh, I, I'm not one that, I'm a passionate person. So I elevate my voice even in normal conversation when it's something that's good, you know? Um, so for me to have to raise my voice in a fashion in out of anger or out of displeasure, I decide I don't like it. I don't even like the way I found it. So what I would rather do is consistently 
hit every single time. I heard a kid be annoyed with the fact that I'm so micromanaging the, what's going on in the beginning. Uh-huh. Until any other one who says, I got this consequence because that's their ownership. Why do you think I'm talking with you right now? Because I was just sitting on the desk. What is the expectation that I respect everything in the room? Is the desk in the room? Absolutely. So now you're getting them to the process in front of their understanding and governing themselves, which is ultimately what we want to do as educators. Yes. So I think that that consistency is so, so important when you're dealing with kids. And I can imagine, you know, I've never done the elementary school. So I can only imagine what it's like to have a room for first graders to, um, to try to facilitate that type of modeling. <laughs> I have a daughter, so I understand that a teacher, and that's, you know, that it takes a special type of teacher to be an elementary school teacher and a middle school teacher. And I think those are different breeds of teachers. Uh-huh. Um, but I think, you know, not everyone can teach high school, middle school, or elementary. You kind of have to know your where you fit in that. So, which leads us to the next question is, going into this new school year, what is the importance of finding your teacher's side? I love this question because I love the concept of like a teacher tribe and working together. Um, but when you're starting your year, whether you're a new teacher at a school or you're still at the same school, but having that teacher tribe is so key. Uh, I just, I guess I just really want to encourage everyone to find that someone who you can celebrate the small moments with, but you need to also be able to confide in that person when things get tough, because honestly, as teachers, we have really hard days and it's easy to get bogged down by the negativity around us. So it's nice to have that someone that's going to lift you up when you're down. Um, I started a new school last year um, and you know, I just moved down. Um, but luckily, our first grade team is very close. And I'm really blessed to have these ladies in my life because they're constantly lifting me up. But I remember thinking last year, I just remember this, um, my principal sent, or started to talk to us about what does healthy competition look like on our grade level? And I remember we kind of sat down after school one day and we were talking about what does that healthy competition look like on our team. And we just want to push each other to always show up to school to be the best for our students. So I'm really lucky to have those people around me to challenge me and encourage me to be better. But my advice, I guess, would be if you don't have that teacher tribe just yet, I would maybe talk to the principal or admin at the school about setting up accountability buddies, which is just, it would help you develop relationships among other teachers at your school, but it's going to also help you find someone that can you can really connect with and have that someone that you can always go to um, day in and day out. Mm. Yeah. And that is key. You know, for the last three years, I was the mentor coordinator a new teacher coordinator and mentor advisor at my campus. And one of the things that when you had a good pairing, that accountability was daily. Yeah. You know, it was unforced. It was, hey, we're in this together. I'm going to check on you every single day. When you had a bad pairing, it was, hey, my mentor only comes around when it's time for me to, for them to sit in my classroom and evaluate me or for me to go to their room. 
And it's like knowing that not every teacher, we would want every teacher to be able to be a mentor, but not every teacher in the building is a mentor. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. some teachers are just great at what they're doing, and they don't really know how to mentor and nurture another teacher in the class. And that's fine. Yeah. But it's just like you said, finding that person, that accountability buddy that you know, hey, I can go to this person and they're going to give me, they're going to talk me off the ledge every day. Or they're yes. going to encourage me to do that. So. And that, that really doesn't need to be also like someone on your team. It can be a para in your classroom. It can be someone on a different grade level. Uh, it, it just is someone that you can go to and just have that opportunity to talk to them and reflect on how everything's going in your classroom. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, as the new year's starting, and again, this is going to help me too, I hope our listeners really take notes, but I know I am. <laughs> this is my first year in three years going back into the classroom. Um, so I'm excited and nervous at the same time. I really feel like a first year teacher. Um, so as a new as, as a new school year starts, how do you build relationships with parents, colleagues, and your students? So this is a big question for me because I'm all about building relationships and like across the board. So. When it comes to building a relationship with parents, um, obviously you want them to know that you care for their kid as much as them. You're there to help them. You're there to support them. You're there for whatever they need. And I think it's really important to have that clear and frequent communication with them. So for me, I send out a newsletter each week. And each week it has a reminder for our special schedule because I want the kids to come on those certain days where they need to be wearing tennis shoes for PE, and I just want to make sure the parents are clear on what days that is. Um, Also, important dates to remember, what would be covering in each subject. And at my school, I have parents that are very, very involved, and I love that. So I like setting up opportunities for them at the beginning of the school year. Because then it eliminates all the emails from those parents asking, how can I help in the classroom? Can I come in here? Can I help with this? Um, I feel like I'm not really involved. So they can be a part of a lesson. You just, what I do at the very beginning of the year during Meet the Teacher, I put up a little sign out or a sign up list and with different activities. So for our class, um, I have parents that come in and they plan like holiday parties, um, Also, another really fun thing that you can do is I have parents that come in each month to decorate my door because they're very crafty and they love to get in and they like to see their kids working, but they want to help with the classroom. So they come and decorate the door and they're always super cute. Um, But if you don't, if you're not able to do this, just having your parents come in and lead maybe an art lesson or a craft lesson or just reading a book to the kids is super helpful. So for me, I wanted to kind of have an open door concept where parents have the opportunity to connect to our classroom. Mm. Yeah. Mm, that's good. That's really good. Um, I, I do like, and, and granted again, I'm, I'm a secondary trained um, teacher. So how would you kind of, you know, say you're a middle school teacher that has, you know, 75 to 80 kids. What advice would you give someone like that to, to kind of do the same things you're doing um, in terms of like how you actually do it so that way they understand, 
you know, what goes into your newsletter and how much time it takes and, and those kind of things. Because I, I know for me personally in the past, it seemed really daunting to try to create that relationships with all those people. But, you know, on the practical side, like how, you know, what goes into your newsletter in terms of how long it takes you to put those things together and do that? So I just, it really doesn't take me too long because I just have a simple template that I just fill out um, every Sunday and I send it Sunday night. Um, and so it's just kind of like a reminder of, of course, like the upcoming events. And I always refer back to have parents check uh, the district calendar to make sure um, that they're not missing anything, especially with athletic events in middle and high school. But also across grade levels, um, I forgot to mention this earlier, but just sending out positive emails just means the world to parents so I might write in my planner hey on Wednesday you need to send an email to these five parents about anything positive about their child whether it's academic behaviorally hey I saw your child help a kid off the ground when they trip just something that's going to brighten that parent's day and I try to at least connect with all of my parents within that month of just sending a positive email. And at any grade level can do that as well, especially in middle and high school, because they're, they don't, they're probably not getting a whole lot of feedback from their kids. And so just sending those positive emails, I think would mean a lot to them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We know middle schoolers do not, middle schoolers and secondary, they come home and it's how school. It was good. Yes, exactly. You know, you know, one of the things I said I was going to tell my parents and uh, meet the teacher night was, if your kids don't come home telling you something crazy happened at school, email me directly because I didn't do my job. Because I want kids <laughs> excited about what they learned, how they learned it, how they put the pieces together, enough to talk to their parents about it authentically. Not because I'm saying, don't talk to your parents, but because they want the shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't feel that the stereotypical classroom has to be for me I remember also, uh, I used to teach third grade, and I remember I would send parents in my newsletter questions, specific questions to ask your kids, because I know a lot of parents say, what did you learn today, or how was school, and you get those simple, it was good, I learned a lot, or I don't know, Um, and so I'd say, ask your child about if we're learning multiplication, ask your child about how we multiplied by three today or ask your child how or what activity we did when we learned about arrays. So it was just like different little things that I wanted to make it really specific. And I think the parents enjoyed that because they knew the questions to be asking them. And it also reflects on what we're learning in the classroom and it keeps them connected. Right. Keeps the learning going on beyond the school day. I love it. Yes. Great idea. Alright, so how does the physical setup of a classroom impact the environment in poultry experience? So this past year when we started our new school, we actually moved to a flexible seating setup. And I'm not gonna lie, I was a little nervous at first because I never really had um, that freedom and I wasn't sure how this the classroom would flow, especially with first graders, because I know it's really important to have that structure in your classroom. But once those guidelines and expectations were set, everything went really smoothly. And looking back and reflecting on this past year, they want that freedom of choice. And that goes 
listen to their learning, but also like how the classroom is set up. And I remember one time I did um, just an anchor chart that said, what would one thing, or if you could add anything to the classroom, what would it be? And one of my boys that was kind of um, one of my, one of the cutest students in the world, but he said, I really would love to see more plants in the classroom. And honestly, that didn't really cross my mind as something that I thought the first graders would want. And so I went out and got a plant and we decorated like a little um, planter for it. And that was really fun. And he realized that I'm actually listening to their voice. And I love seeing how the students are going throughout the day and making learning their own and choosing different spots based on what they're working on because they have that choice. Um, also, I am that teacher that I just want to make my classroom really as colorful as possible um, and just inviting and organized because for me, I kind of reflect on what I like. And if I'm going into a store or a restaurant and it's colorful or cute and it's clean and organized, I'm going to feel more comfortable and I'm going to want to go back. And I know that if I go somewhere and it might be dirty or uh, disorganized or the people there are just not opening or very kind, then I'm not going to want to revisit that place. So just for me personally, I want to walk into a classroom where I'm feeling happy, <laughs> really. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you can under underestimate the value of of a place being inviting. And you know, the thing is, I and and I'm guilty of it too. I think of you know having the misconception that when you give kids choice, even even especially the younger kids, you give kids choice, it will result in anarchy. And and it's really not the case. I I think all these flexible seating things and options and stuff is proving that you can give kids choice while still maintaining, you know, boundaries and, um, you know, routines. And I think that's such an important thing that we, we can be learning as all teachers that the more choice we give kids, the better off everyone's going to be. Yes. And I, with, even if you do flexible seating or you don't do flexible seating, I remember just one day giving my kids the opportunity to just move the tables and, um, chairs that the way that they wanted it um, because I frequently moved mine into straight lines or it might be um, circles or it might be kind of just like little island tables where there's just like groups of four or five and I just had them arrange the furniture the way they wanted it and just getting that feedback of hey do you guys like to learn on the carpet do you guys like learning at your at your desk because I want them to learn the best way they can so what a better what better way to do it than just asking them because it's all person. It's personalized for them. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm very much into choice, student choice, and student voice. Um, and I think it just goes along with the, the, the generation. Like, you know, I always say kids have not changed. The times that they live in have changed. Yes. Okay. Um, and we have to make sure that we adjust, not as if students have changed, but we have to adjust as if the times that they're living in have changed. But we have to kind of up our ante of what we do. And I think that choice of, you know, I always leave in my classroom, I'll let you sit anywhere in the world that you can be productive. You can sit anywhere in the classroom, anywhere you want to, as long as you're being productive. If I see that you're not being productive, then we're going to have to make adjustments. 
in your seating because my ultimate end game is to be successful. Mm-hmm. And I think giving kids that freedom to know, hey, look, yeah, you can sit with your friends, but if y'all are not being productive, is that either is that good for you to want to be Yeah, and I think that's great practice, especially when they're in high school going to college because they need to realize what is the best way I'm going to study, what is the best way I'm going to focus on my work at hand. I can sit with my friends and I can have fun, but when am I actually going to get my work done and how do I balance the life of social life and academics? Mm -hmm. You said social life. We can't talk about social life on an educational podcast. I think that's... I would ask and I think a lot of teachers had and I know I had it especially is you know can you can you have really those good routines and and those things without having a relationship because I think at least when I was coming up as a teacher it was the relationship piece was never really talked about and it certainly wasn't said that you know your kids I, I, I came up in a time when the teacher was the authority figure and kids followed the routine because you were the authority. That's just yeah. not the case anymore. So so how what is that relationship between having good routines and having a relationship with your kids? So I think really also when you're establishing those routines and expectations, it's I mean just like any person it's good to clarify why you're having that in your classroom because even when they're 6 or 7 years old and you say, hey, you know, during writer workshop, that might not be the best time that we're going to talk to our friends. We're going to find a spot in the room that we can really focus on our writing and coming up with amazing ideas of what to write. Um, and I kind of let them 
kind of role play and and I do like a bad example of like what our writer's workshop is going to look like and what a good writer's workshop is going to look like. And we kind of just as a class reflect on, Hey, if I'm a, if I am in writer's workshop and I'm up walking around and I'm talking to my friends and I'm sharpening my pencil constantly, I'm not getting any of my work done and that didn't help my writing. And then it goes into the other aspect of, Hey, I sat down for a little bit. I really brainstormed on what I wanted to write about. And I drew a, a great picture today and I got a few words on my page and so we kind of need to I guess take a step back and look at our routines and really just explain why to our kids that we have those routines because once you establish the why they're going to understand why they have it and they're going to want to follow it and when it comes to relationships um for my kiddos when you build a relationship with your kids you have less um, I guess, challenging behaviors in your classroom because that trust is developed more. Um, so they're more inclined to follow your rules in your classroom or follow the expectations because they're trusting you that you set those expectations for a reason. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So how do you promote positivity both within your classroom and on your campus? So... I'm very grateful because I work at a school where that positivity is modeled from the top down. And our administration goes out of their way to make everyone feel very special and um, just in return creates a very positive environment at our school. But I do know a lot of schools might not have this. So as a teacher, um, just know that you can really make a difference in the morale at your school. Uh, it's not something that is just put on the admin to promote this, um, like, positivity. Any teacher can do it. So I remember this past year, my team and I, even before school started and the kids came in, we had so much fun because we went around the school and we left. We printed off those um, funny, like, teacher memes. Um, we found one that was a picture of Lucy from I Love Lucy, and she's crying. And then there's, like, a quote at the bottom that says, when you accidentally jam the copier, And we stuck it above the copier because it was funny to us. And we wanted to, like, make someone else laugh if they thought that was funny. So it's just, like, little things you can do around the school or your classroom that just brightens someone's day. And that's going to automatically boost the positivity at your school. Um, Personally, I just learned how to print on sticky notes. And I kind of became obsessed with that because I thought it was a lot of fun, especially when you're writing notes to your students or you're writing notes to um, colleagues that you work with and just a quick letter of encouragement it takes about two minutes to write it down and even just saying a kid in your class hey I noticed yesterday that you helped someone when um, they weren't sure how to spell a word and I just want to say that I think you're an amazing friend to others and that just means a lot to them. And for me to write that, it didn't take a lot of time out of my day. And it was something that I wanted to do because I want my classroom to be a positive place. Um, so I just think if you are kind of bogged down at your school and you might not think that the morale is super high, especially going into next year, maybe go out of your way to um, create maybe a bulletin board in the teacher's lounge that's a little shout-out wall or um, just writing little notes and different things like that that just kind of can boost the morale within your classroom or school or grade level even. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I can attest to when when Wilkie and I were teaching on the same team, we used to just be goofballs, and the kids just ate it up. Like, yeah, we would we would throw footballs across the courtyard and and play pranks and stuff, and it really not only did it boost my morale, but I think it really it made a difference for the kids, and they really were like, oh, these guys are they're cool. They they like, and they're I mean, just just to show the kids that we enjoy what we do. Yes. Funny because we um, use Go Noodle as little brain breaks in our classroom, and when I decide I want to go up and you know dance along with the kids, they think it's hilarious, and it just it's a lot of fun because when you when you have fun with your teaching, that's going to radiate or radiate throughout your whole classroom, and that's very important because when you're having fun, they're going to have fun learning. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, agreed, and I really liked what you said coming back kind of the beginning of your answer is as teachers we we're not powerless to change the morale in a school and I think sometimes it can seem so much like um the administration is the one who's really dictating and to some degree they are but if teachers make the choice that they're really gonna create a positive environment and and be happy about where they're at then they can absolutely change the morale of the school for the better yeah, and it's a great time to even co- um, collaborate with your admin if, and you can set those relationships with, hey, you know, I saw this great idea online today and I think it would be great to just implement this in our teacher's lounge to help build morale. Yeah. Yeah, so kind of kind of on along that same vein, you know, because if, if teachers are taking control of morale, I mean, that's, that's definitely leadership. So... But also, what is the role of, you know, leadership training in your classroom? And if you want to kind of expand that to, you know, as a teacher, being a leader to other teachers. So what's just your general take on leadership within the classroom and in the school? So my current school is a lighthouse school. So we do a lot of focus on the seven habits and we really push leadership. But I know a lot of schools don't have that program. So I, when I'm focusing on my classroom, personally, I do classroom jobs, and I need a lot of teachers do classroom jobs, but I try to make my jobs connected to real-world occupations because that gives a sense of leadership and it ties to the real world. So kind of as an example of that, um, my kiddo that's in charge of sharpening pencils, I call him the woodshop. Or the kid that's in charge of the lights, um, they're called the electrician. And then one of my favorites is I hate bugs. And if there's a spider in the classroom or a ladybug or whatever it is, I have a little job called pest control. And they got to sweep it out of the classroom and sweep it outside because I don't want to – I'm scared of it. But I always find that one kid that loves insects. So they're the pest control. So it's a little fun to – play a role like that um and i've even seen teachers use their jobs and they call it the economy and one of the teachers i worked with actually called hers the internships and it was just really funny how you can kind of like kind of play on words for their jobs because i don't want to just call it pencil sharpener i want to make it more of a real life role and i think that's important especially with the leadership because it can transfer transfer over into real life Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, that's. But, I've. I've never heard yeah. that. That I. And I think that's such a super cool idea to just give kids 
not only a little bit different title, but just expose them to different things. I think that's incredible. Um, and we also, I mean, we focus a lot also on being a leader outside of the classroom because I tell my kids all the time that your leadership role as a kid doesn't just end when you leave, um, out, like out the door for the day when you're going home. So I try to encourage them to, I guess, use the growth mindset that we've been talking about in the classroom and just the leadership roles that we've um, kind of developed throughout the year at home with their siblings, um, with their parents taking initiative on their schoolwork um, and just helping around the house as well. Because I get feedback from parents that say, you know, I really saw that my kid didn't used to make their bed, but now they've developed a habit and they chose to make their bed and now that they do it every morning. And so I think just instilling those ideas at a young age will be very beneficial later on. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good habit. I, I will admit that I was never a person probably until I was probably 30 when I started making my bed. And I think it was that, um, that that commencement speech at UT when when that admiral was talking about how it's not about the fact that you're made that you just made your bed it was about the discipline it takes to 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 do, get up and do something positive every single day and that's that's one positive way to start your day and I've done it every day since so I think even just those small habits that they get outside the classroom are super important as well yes and I was thinking a little bit on how I could relate this leadership role to middle school and even high school, and I was thinking about how some of our elementary school is actually connected to our middle school. So our middle schoolers have a great opportunity to come over and help with us or help our kids, and our CLNI, which stands for Center of Learning and Innovation, And those middle schoolers take time out of their day um, to come over and help our librarian. And she offers jobs to them, like uh, we call them tech experts. And those are the kids that are helping with computers. And they're teaching our first graders how to code or use the robots. And they're having so much fun and learning also coding themselves, but they're also helping our kids. And they're using their passions to really help elementary kiddos find their passions as well. Um, she has them help her with lessons. So any middle schooler that might be interested in becoming a teacher has an opportunity to teach a lesson to first grade, second grade, um, or any grade that they're really focused in. And so as a campus, we really focus on like reader leaders and math leaders. And just, we want to strive to really, I guess, bring out the best in all of our kids, especially in middle school, because we want them to find what they're passionate in. Mm. That's that's awesome. So, you know, in, in our prior conversations before we were talking about the podcast, uh, you said your your school is is very technologically um, engaged. So, I guess the question we have is, you know, what what technology are you most excited about? But also, to you know, with that, how do you still um, build connections with your students while using that te- technology? So even at a young age, technology can be used as a mindless activity or it can really be used as a tool for knowledge. And so I right away, I'm teaching my kids 
about digital citizenship. I'm telling him about how, I mean, in the palm of your hand, you can find answers to anything that comes up in your brain, like curiosity. Um, If one of my kids might be interested in pyramids, we can research that and we can look it up and we can use our technology to do that. It's not all about downloading the latest app or game and playing it for hours and hours on end. We want to use this technology to help our learning and really drive our curiosity and what we want to be learning. So um, I would say for this year, I recently went to um, a coding training and it talked a lot about just, um, just, the computer science aspect in the classroom and how a lot of kids are limited in learning computer science. And so I'm excited to kind of get my kids started on, on different websites like code.org or codable or using the Ozo bots or little robots um, from our library. And I think as well, last year we did a digital portfolio for our kids learning and it went really, really well because we made it student-owned and they had to take the role on of taking pictures of their work, taking videos of them explaining their learning, um, asking questions, uh, recording their friends uh, while reading a book or one of their favorite books. And it was just great because I got the opportunity to look back at our iPod and just watch how the kids are really growing in their learning and wanting to share it with others. And so I'm just excited to kind of revisit that aspect and really just dive into it, knowing that it was such a success last year. And I think this year it will go really well again. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Lots, lots to digest there. And I really love the idea of the digital learning portfolio, especially, I mean, in that kind of, uh, Will, you should tell her a little bit about your after-school program that you're, that you're running because I think that's right along those same lines. Yeah, yeah well, I was thinking about that when she was saying it because I'm, I created a program for my after-school that kind of focused on student-created uh, content. So I'm taking putting a, a, a bug out for any students in our, in our school who love digital media, arts, um, if they're a singer, if they play an instrument, if they are a poet, if they're a photographer, if they're an artist, if they're a dancer, any any kind of way that's within the medium of uh, media and art and creating a collective called the Music and Arts Collective. And the kids actually create their own content, document their own content, and put it out. And then I'll have a guy who comes in who's going to teach them how to monetize this content that they've been building. Um, and so it's kind of, and, and like I say, technology is, is what drives our kids. And when you we were talking, I was thinking about, I was in a PD, and they were saying, if you would ask students 20 years ago, what was, what was the one thing that really drove their learning, it would probably be having choice and having voice in what I do. But they did recent research at Stanford where they're saying, that's not what's most important to students now. What's most important to students now is a public product. What do I have to present to the public? Or how am I going to present what I've learned to the public because we live in such a social media-driven society? And I think that when you have kids, when you have kids that are focused that way, 
we have to kind of give them a medium and an outlet to express that. We can't run away from it and hide and pretend that these mediums are not out there because they're using them. Our job is just to teach them how to use them responsibly and how to benefit from these. Yeah, and I love that concept because when they're developing that, it's kind of like they're doing almost like a blog or like a like becoming a blogger or like a website design or just kind of getting into a computer science mindset of maybe this could be a career that I can, you know, look into in the future. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's something that, that means if I was there when I was in school, I wanted to be a YouTuber, they would have thought I was crazy because there was no YouTube when I was in school. <laughs> yeah. You know, so right now, I mean, you have YouTubers out here who are becoming millionaires before they're 18. Yeah. You know, just by processing content and documenting their lives and people trying. So I think teaching kids how to combine what they're learning, their educational process, with this digital platform that, they, that we all live in, I think it makes a huge difference in that influence. That we want that we want to use the kids and the influence that kids use. They wouldn't become bullies because now I can influence you. I don't have to bully. Yes, mm. and I actually just remembered one thing that we do in our school that I think is really fun and really any grade level, middle middle school, high school, elementary school can implement. But we do something called Twitter Tuesdays, where a teacher took on the role as being a facilitator. She tweets out a question with a hashtag that's only directed towards our school and the Twitter chat. And anyone can respond, and it's basically the students responding to the question. And it's fun for them because they get an opportunity to tweet something and use Twitter and show how Twitter can be used to communicate with others. Um, As an example, it said... Um, Because we had a leadership day at our school, and it was, what was one thing you wanted to show your parents uh, about the leadership role you have in our school? And so, for elementary school, for the first graders, I call on my students and I type out the tweet for them, but they can see on our board everything I'm typing and how it's set up. And we like to go back and we like to look at other answers because it we can look at a second grader answer, we can look at a middle school answer. And so we can see, they get excited about opportunities that are coming up in later years. They're seeing, oh, in third grade, they have a fish in their classroom and this kid got to feed the fish and that was his leadership role in the classroom. That's really exciting and it just boosts their morale and really in our whole school, it's really exciting to see how the students just really communicate with each other across the whole campus mm-hmm. yeah yeah I mean it, it just sounds like the stuff you're doing is super practical and also you know like you both have said giving giving kids the real world skills that they're gonna need for you know jobs that are gonna be out there I mean because especially with you who knows what the jobs your first graders are going to have when they get out of high school or college I mean we can't even predict what the jobs are going to be in two or three years let alone you know, in 10 or 12 or 15 years when they get done. Yeah, that's very true because, I mean, it's like what you said earlier, our world is changing and we need to, I guess, prepare our students the best we can. Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we definitely want to be respectful of your time, especially as the uh, the summer is dwindling down. So we're going to 
wrap up with the final few questions. And these can be questions you can answer uh, just in life or, or based on teaching. So the first one is, um, what's the best advice you've ever been given? And who is the person that gave it to you? Okay, so I had to also really think about this question because I have gone through college and I've had mentor teachers and I've had colleagues that all have really inspired me. So I think when I look back, I got the opportunity to teach with Brooke Brown. She does teach outside the box and she focuses on the STEM but she was my mentor teacher when I was a student teacher. And I just remember walking into her class. I wasn't sure what to expect. We were teaching third grade. And I just really didn't know really much about what the classroom was going to look like. And right off the bat, it was the start of the school year. And she was just so positive. She was having so much fun with her kids. And she would just say, oh, my goodness, that was such a hard lesson. Like, I didn't think um, my students really responded well to that. And I'm in the back over there thinking, I thought you just did amazing, and I think you're a rock star. So her best advice that she gave to me was to always have fun, to always stay true to yourself, and always keep your positivity, and just to always keep smiling because it's going to affect your students and really the people around you. So I try to embrace that as much as possible. And when I'm in the classroom and I'm planning lessons, I'm thinking, what is going to be fun for me to teach? Because if I'm having fun teaching again, my students are going to have fun learning. And how can I just use my positivity to make my students feel loved in my classroom and make them feel like they belong here and that they're accepted? Hmm. That's great advice. And that's, I mean, it's so crazy how how lucky, you know, you, you got to be, you know, teaching, you know, student teaching with someone who was awesome. And that's, that's awesome. That's so fortunate, but also really good advice. So, um, what advice though, would you give to a teacher who is struggling? So I would say if any teacher is struggling out there to that, really you can do anything but not everything and I saw that quote recently and it kind of just hit home for me because if you're just feeling like you're drowning in responsibilities and especially going into this next year you feel like you just need to do so much and just everything and you need to take on so many roles at your campus and you need to just really go above and beyond but you're but you're kind of feeling like you just can't do it all then just kind of take a step back and look at what is going to make your life easier and how can I give my 100% to a balance of activities rather than just my 50% to just an immense amount of activities. I would really just say maybe going into this year, focus on what's most important to you. And if you feel like you're struggling, talk to someone, whether it's your admin or that teacher tribe that you have, because we're all on the same team. We all want what's best for our students and we're there to help each other. So if you're struggling, the best thing to do is talk about it with someone. Mm. Yes. Good advice. So I know you talked a little bit about the wild card by hope and Wade King, but are there any other books that you've read, you know, say in the last year that you'd really recommend? So our school got to listen to George Kiros, um, and he was wonderful and he wrote a book called The Innovator's Mindset and just on the front of his book it says 
empower learning and unleash talent and lead a culture of creativity. And just that should capture your attention because in this whole book, it really just drives you to one, use technology in your classroom, but it just helps you want to do more in your classroom, just like the wild card did for me. Hmm. Nice. Nice. So what would you say is your proudest accomplishment to date? Um, I was also thinking about that question because it was a, it was a little tricky to think about each one, but this is a little sappy, <laughs> but I think each year that my students graduate, cause I've only been teaching for about four years, but each time my students leave to graduate to the next grade level is an amazing accomplishment and it's just a great feeling as a teacher and I'm that teacher who cries at the end of each year not because I'm just going to miss them so much but because I'm really proud at how much they have grown and just the progress that they've made throughout the year so each year growing as a teacher I think I'm looking back and I my biggest accomplishment is just everything I've learned throughout that year because each class is going to bring its own benefits and also its own struggles, but you're going to learn and grow from it. Mm. Nice. So before we ask you the final question and get you out here, if people want to connect with you, what's the, what's the best way for them to do that? So my main thing that I do is Instagram because I love seeing what other people are doing in the classroom and it inspires me to do stuff in the classroom. So they can always follow me on Instagram, um, and I think that would just be the best thing because I'm posting photos throughout the year of what I'm doing in my classroom and explaining how it's benefiting my students, and hopefully I'm inspiring others to do the same in their classrooms as well. Mm. And what's your Instagram handle, just to make sure I, I got it written down correctly? It's engaging and educating. Nice, nice. Awesome. Well, we want to, before we ask you the final question, just say a huge thank you for you taking, taking some time out to, uh, to pour into our listeners and add value to the people around the teaching craft. Thank you so much for having me. I had such a great time talking to you guys. Mm-hmm. So fin- fin- final question for you. When it's all said and done, what do you hope your legacy is? I think um, my lasting legacy would look like um I know a lot of people have heard this quote and I wrote this down because I it it impacted me a lot and it really meant a lot to me but people won't remember you for what you said but how you made them feel and when my first graders come in the room I want them to be just overjoyed in my classroom and I want them to feel like I care and that I want them to look back and think like it meant a lot to me that Miss Patterson listened to me when I was having a hard day or that she made um, this learning activity so much fun. And I just, I love that she cared so much for me. And I think that's the biggest thing for me is that my students are leaving knowing that I will always care about them. Awesome. Well, Tori, thank you so much for taking some time. And we really super appreciate you coming on the podcast. Of course. Thank you so much for having me.